Some teams have been relegated upward, so who is the next Cincinnati, UCF, or Tulane? Maybe it's still Tulane. We'll do a group of five previews. Some disappointing news in terms of nostalgia in college football with the latest from the blind side. And also, what's next for the ACC? This is the College Game Day podcast, recording on Thursday, August 17th. Reese Davis here, Ryan McGee sitting in for Pete Thamel, who is a detoxing, recovering, or some such thing from all the realignment news in the recent days. Ryan, glad to have you with us. Always great to see you, my friend. This is this is a far different cry from when we were together on RPM Tonight. Yeah, I think uh, I've got an old RPM Tonight mic flag somewhere in my office. I'll, I'll have to dig that out. I'm pretty sure you used it to interview, like, you know, Morgan Shepard back in the day or something. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the sad thing is you grew up loving car racing. And I, I didn't follow it, just to be honest. And when they asked yep. me to do RPM tonight, way back in the day, I'd been at ESPN a couple of years, I guess, and I was doing NBA tonight, which was much more in my wheelhouse. And they called, they called and said, hey, we'd like for you. Kenny Mayne was moving to Sports Center, and they said, we'd like for you to do RPM tonight. And I said, okay, but let's, I just want to make one thing clear. If you're thinking, hey, Let's get the dude from Alabama to host a car racing yep. show. I said, you've got the wrong guy. I said, I'll yeah. learn it and I'll dive in, but you can't bring me in with the expectation that I know the ins and outs in the history. I said, I know who Dale Earnhardt is. I know who Jeff Gordon and Rusty Wallace <laughs> are. I said, but beyond that, I'm going to have homework to do. And you were one of the ones that helped me, that helped me immensely in doing that homework and getting up to speed. Or, well, no pun intended, maybe a slight pun intended, but semi-getting up to speed. I I had an old car that didn't always run good in terms of my historical knowledge of uh, of NASCAR. (laughs) Yeah, well, so back in the mid-90s, there were, I think, four Southerners in the entirety of ESPN. It was you, me, we had an editor, uh, Lee McKee from Greenville, South Carolina, Mm -hmm. and Stu Scott. And at the time, Stu was claiming he was from Brooklyn, not from Greensboro. (laughs) <laughs> and which is where I actually grew up. So, and, and I, and I was the only one with a Southern accent. So I literally started ESPN the same week that Jeff Gordon won the first Brickyard 400. So I always tell Jeff, when Jeff retired, uh, I told him, I said, Hey, thanks, by the way, for my entire career, because suddenly NASCAR was cool. And, uh, they called the guy from Muscle Shoals and the guy from Rockingham and said, need y'all to work on, on the auto racing show. It, it all worked out. And, and here we, I remember you and me talking to talk, working on that show. And we said, man, one day, Hopefully we can work together on college football, and uh, you know we put in the grind, and it only took uh, only took about twenty years, and here we sit. Well, see, you, I learned something as we were prepping for this podcast. You keep it a, a big secret, mostly because you want to hold people accountable for reading your book of yeah. what your what your age is. But I, yeah. don't, I don't mind saying I've been I've been at ESPN for twenty eight and a half years now. People. You know, I'm, I'm entering my ninth season hosting College Game Day, and now this is you know well in excess of 20 seasons of either hosting College Game Day or being in the studio for college football. So that was you know I'm glad to be able to work with you on this, and I know you're going to contribute quite a bit to Game Day coming up in the fall as well. So so we're excited about that and appreciative for the contributions that that you've already made. Let, let's hit a couple of college football topics here off the top. You you said you know you grew up in North Carolina. 
um, Tennessee guy now from uh, by by affiliation, but North Carolina guy by birth. How do you view the ACC right now? What did you make of this uh, uh, divide in terms of the pursuit of Stanford and Cal? Because I I thought it made zero sense um, yeah. for the ACC to do so. If it, if they break away and it becomes football, and I don't mean within the conference, but if football breaks away from the rest and Stanford and Cal become uh, football affiliates with an ACC like that, I don't have a big problem with it. But for everything else, it's it's kind it's kind of ridiculous, and I don't really understand why some of the schools would have wanted to do that. And I certainly understand those who remain steadfast in their opposition to adding Stanford and Cal. No, no disrespect intended to them. It just does. I don't right. see where it brings a lot of value to the conference. Yeah, and, and you're right. I, mean, I grew up on Tobacco Road. I grew up in the Triangle. I mean, you you mentioned my books. You know, you know because you wrote the forward for us. My dad was an ACC. Uh, football official. I mean, for for decades. I mean, he was in the Big East when they started that. But for the most part, I mean, I, those that's where I grew up was going to ACC football games, and so I'm old school that way. And um, it's interesting to me, not just with the ACC, but but in all of realignment every time it happens, but particularly with the ACC this time around, is I feel like people, good and bad, find out who they actually are. Right? You know schools sitting there waiting on the phone to ring because they just assume that the SEC is going to call or they just assume the Big Ten is going to call and they don't get the call. And I remember for ESPN the magazine 12 years ago, I wrote a realignment story about super conferences. Talked to Roy Kramer and per the usual, he was right about where it all ended up, you know, 12 years later. But I remember interviewing Bill Self and Rick Pitino and these basketball coaches whose schools were going to change conferences at the time we thought half the Big 12 was going to go to the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And I remember those basketball coaches saying to me, no one's even come down here and asked me what I think. And and there were schools that said, no one's called us and asked us what we think about all this. And so I think maybe in the case of a Florida state or in the case of some of these schools, they've kind of figured out that you you are who you think you are, and then you are who everyone else thinks you are. And so it's been interesting watching that happen. And as far as the, the – so I just – I don't know where the logistics go anymore. You know, I was in L.A. back in May, and this guy was dressed in all his USC stuff, and he saw me at the airport, and he goes, what are we doing? And I go, I, I, go, I don't know. I really don't know. And so, I mean, I know what you're doing. You're chasing the money. But in the case of the ACC, I, I'll tell you this. I don't want to hear any more about academics. Because Amen. if anybody says they don't have a place for Cal and Stanford, the academics clearly don't matter. You know, it's about it's about all the other stuff. And so the logistics make zero sense. If you had to do it to survive, I get it. Even if it's just temporary, if you're the ACC, if you're Cal and Stanford, because right now it's just a game of survival. But that's a really long way of saying, yeah, it didn't make any sense. But if had it happened, I would have been like, okay, whatever. I mean, you know, you know, Rutgers and UCLA are gonna play volleyball, so that, that's the world we're living in. So, I, you know, maybe UCLA, maybe, maybe Cal and, and Stanford made sense. Taylor and Sarah, our great producers, have heard me rant about this before. The academic thing, I've got no patience for. Yeah. Uh, being a member of the American Association of Universities or whatever it is that makes the presidents feel better. I've got no patience for that. I'm not anti-academics. I mean, 
I have I have one son who graduated undergrad from an Ivy League institution <laughs> and then got two graduate degrees from Duke while playing sports. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got a daughter who you know went to NYU who used to be a basketball power back in the day, but now I think they're D three in most everything, and and she doesn't really follow sports. Academics are important, but this idea that you have to be associated and like minded or we can't play football against you, it's stupid. It's beyond. And if you're calling yourself high-minded, you know, some bastion of academic integrity, and yet you said, well, I can't really do any research on this stem cell because, you know, because you're not in the same conference I am. That's stupid. (laughs) You You can research with whoever you want to. Now, I'm not saying I understand that when you are in that conference that sometimes they might facilitate some cooperation. That's fine. I've zero. I'm not against that part of it. But to say that, well, we can't make this affiliation or we can't make this arrangement because we right. don't have similar goals academically. Yeah. That's dumb. Work yeah. with whoever you want to academically to do research or get grants or whatever. And if it happens to be in the same athletic conference, go ahead. Nobody's yeah. stopping you. It's great. But to say we can't let this, you know, program A or program B or in the case of Stanford and Cal, that we need to add them because of because of their high-minded uh, academia is preposterous. This is a business. It is. Whether we like it or not, and sooner or later, football is going to break away. And, you know, you brought up Bill Self. I remember talking to Bill during that earlier round of realignment and him being – because he's a big football fan. He loves football, and he sure. and he's really savvy and a really smart guy. But I think even he was taken aback that at that time, there was a good chance Kansas was going to kind of get left out in the weeds, sort of like Washington State and Oregon State have yeah. have right now. So it's really interesting, all of these relegation models that people have put up for football over the years that I've laughed at and said it wouldn't wouldn't work uh, or it's you know there's no need for it, has sort of happened. Now, it's been unfortunate because the Stanford fans will – draw back to the years leading up to the Kirby Smart era at Georgia and draw the parallel and wins and losses and accomplishments between Stanford and Georgia and pure numbers when, you know, David Shaw really elevated what Jim Harbaugh had laid the foundation for and built. And and there are, you know, Stanford Stanford accomplished a ton. There were regulars in Rose Bowls. They were uh, perennial contenders to get into the then Probably BCS. should have won a couple of Heismans. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. one. Well, see, we could argue about that. I jumped somebody <laughs> in a National Football Foundation meeting earlier because this whole this whole false narrative that yeah. Christian McCaffrey didn't win the Heisman because he plays on the West Coast is preposterous. Yeah. Go back and look, and I'll tell you why. Now, two different arguments. The first argument, if you say Christian McCaffrey should have beaten Derrick Henry for the Heisman, and that's your opinion, you think he was a better player, that's a justifiable position. I've got no qualms with that. That's up to you. But to say he didn't get enough attention is ridiculous. Go back and look at his first month of the season. He scored yeah. one touchdown the entire yeah. first month of the season. Yeah. Now, he, he did okay. I think he might have had a 100-yard rushing game maybe. Maybe he had a kick return or something too. But it wasn't the first month he wasn't really on the radar. But from October until the end of the season – he got so much attention that people – he almost did, and then people thought he should have won the Heisman. Somebody saw it. You know, so it's like two separate arguments. People saw him. You know, so, yeah, so don't say that. Don't say that. If you want to say it was better, go ahead. That's fine. But don't say it was because people didn't see him. It's, that's not true. 
Yeah, I always tell everyone, I had never been to Stanford in my life, and I went there three times that year. So that's mm-hmm. that's how little that's how simply because of him. So that's how little attention when he moved to Charlotte and played for the Panthers. I ran into him at the grocery store, and he's like, "Man, you came and saw me all the time, and I never saw you again." I go, "Well," <laughs> but yeah, that's how that's how little attention that he received was. All of a sudden, I was on airplanes, you know, to to the Bay Area three times. But but to to your point earlier, my frustration when it comes to realignment is, and I feel this way a lot of times is, and it kind of goes to this idea of of high minded academics is. I hate it when they treat us like we're stupid. I hate it when, you know, w- we talk to someone or someone releases a statement or we, we watch a press conference or whatever, and then they say things like, because I, I grew up on college campuses. You know, my dad was mm-hmm. a university president. He was on NCAA committees. I mean, I, I know how all this works. And so when someone sits there and says to me, well, we didn't do this because of this guy wasn't a member of this academic association or <laughs> we didn't do this because of whatever I'm sitting there or, or we made this move because of so-and-so. And then the same conference that said we can't take so-and-so because they're not on the same level as the rest of us academically. And then I see who they've added since. Mm-hmm. You know, and then don't, don't, don't look at me and tell me that your reasoning is still the same. You know, I'm a smart guy. You're a smart guy. We're all, we all that follow this game, you can't follow football and not have some level of intelligence. Don't lie to me. Just, yeah. you know, don't, 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 as, you know, I got a teenager in the house. Don't gaslight me, right? That's mm-hmm. what, you know, you, just, just tell me the truth. That's fine. You're chasing money. You're chasing market size. I get it. You're, you're trying to get out ahead of TV contracts and trying to get out ahead of the other commerce. Just tell me that. But don't mm-hmm. try to paint this as, Oh no no we're we're we want to make sure that so and so is the right fit when we all get together for our meetings in Myrtle Beach I, whatever you know just mm-hmm. just just you know just tell me what the truth because I'm probably gonna we're all probably gonna know what it is anyway you know what, Ryan I think I don't think that they are purposely trying to lie to us maybe I'm a little naive there I think they're sort of lying to themselves I think yeah, that well, make, I fair. think it makes yep. I think it makes them feel better about yep. the mission. Yep. And yep. then, and then when they get backed into a corner because somebody makes a, a financial decision to move away from them, then they have to backfill it. Then they become uh, a little more open to compromise. Whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night, right? It's a, it's a cliche for a reason. <laughs> I really didn't mean to take us down that rabbit hole as much, but I was really interested in what you thought about the ACC and the realignment. And, you know, the date has passed now. Florida State's going to stick around at least for another year or or until something something else happens. The offseason, even leading up to the days to begin the season, always bring, you know, these kind of incredible stories uh, on the offside and the dispute between Michael Orr, the former Ole Miss great, terrific NFL player, and the Tui family, who took him in, as everyone knows from uh, from the Blindside movie, and the dispute over how much money the Tuies have made, whether a conservatorship has taken advantage of Michael Orr financially, and the um, the dispute on both sides of it, with uh, both attorney both attorneys from each side making making claims that uh, you know that the other is either uh, erroneous or has unfairly taken advantage of it is really really been disappointing because because you you wanted to believe that everything was good in that story and you know being around this Ryan you probably heard that there had been a little distance 
between Michael Orr and and the Tuies because of this. I don't think that Michael, from what I've been able to garner, has ever been a huge fan of the movie. And I I understand why. I think if you go another level down in that character in that movie, and I'm not here to break down the movie, but I think the you know one of the contentions that's been made recently, and one of the things that had bothered Michael initially is that his character was portrayed as unintelligent. I think if you really watch that movie closely, it's not the case. At least I didn't take it that way. I thought that you know it was pretty obvious that once you got past the shyness that he was not portrayed that way. However, if you were the character, you know, if the character was based on you, I can understand how you might not love the way that whole thing came out. So I, I, I have some, I, I have a degree of, of empathy there, I guess, for how he might feel about the movie. I, I don't know how all of this is going to come out, but I know that uh, from that particular story and the movie and the book and and who made money and I, I hope that you know everybody get gets what they're entitled to but I think it's really unfortunate because that was that was such a unifying feel good type of a uh, type of story between uh, the Tui family and Michael Ward to see it devolve into now what's going to become a legal battle is is uh, is kind of sad and I hate to see it yeah and and so my perspective on this is my family Right. My wife and daughter who do not live by the box score by any stretch, but they love stories. You know, if they love game day because they love to watch the features, they don't really care about the, the preview of, of, you know, whatever so and so is going to do in the cover two that day. Tell them thanks the, a lot. The, you know, well, I, I love all of it. I'm, Just, I'm, you know, kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. But, but, but the point is, is that it's such a incredibly, it's an Oscar winning film. It's, mm-hmm. it's such an incredibly popular film. The book is, is, is a milestone book, you know, when it comes to, to research is almost everything that, that Michael Lewis does. But I say all that because my, I watch my family react to the news. You know, you mentioned Pete Thamel. So I'm on the emails, right? Uh, of all the emails going back and forth between all the ESPN.com writers and editors about, Hey, this story's breaking. What do we do with it? I, I knew about it in the morning. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. I, then I watched the two of them the rest of the day. Like, when are they going to find out? Because I'm not going to tell them. Mm-hmm. And they were devastated. Yeah. And the reason is because it, it it casts a shadow. No matter what happens from here on, it casts a shadow of doubt on this story that has touched so many people. The Tui family that they they have made a living. You're know, speaking at motivational events and speaking mm-hmm. at these big conferences, and it's all based on this story. And so. It's touched the lives of so many people between the book and the movie and everything that's happened since then. And Michael's written a couple of books. He was in Oxford uh, doing a book signing, I think, just two days ago. And so that's the part that's tough to watch, is to watch mm-hmm. the people uh, who who have found inspiration in this story when the veneers ripped off of it. And, and, you know, um, and that, 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 that that's tough to watch. And I think a really important thing for people in our position is something that our profession doesn't do a very good job of right now, candidly, is it is our job to get as many facts as early as we possibly can and then react to them. And in this landscape of media, it's okay to have an opinion on it. But I would say that it would be really important in a case like this, given everything that's happening in our society and the divisiveness on virtually any front you can imagine right now, we would be wise as people in the media to let a few more facts play out here and then make whatever judgment you're going to make. Uh, Because the 
the claims on both sides are pretty desperate right now. You know, there, there's a there's a long gulf in between. And if truth lies in the middle, then maybe you can make uh, the judgment. And certainly if truth is on one side or the other, then that becomes a pretty easy judgment. But I saw a ton, a ton of people immediately gravitate to one side or the other. And it wasn't just drawn along racial lines necessarily. It was people had the inclination to jump to one side or the other and decide that version of the facts absolutely has to be true. Patience in stories yep. like this. You don't get, uh, you, you don't assign yourself to a position that might not age well. You know, it's, but I think the most important thing is sort of what you said, because my, my daughter, much like your wife and daughter is, a beyond casual sports fan, very, very casual. She, she likes her brother's baseball team. And because we're a house divided in terms of allegiance, Alabama, Auburn, from where my wife and I went to school, uh, my daughter wants Alabama to beat Auburn. So she doesn't have to listen to it from her mother and brother. And other than that, <laughs> that that's all she really cares about, but she loves, yeah. loves, loves, loves the blind side. She'll watch yeah. it. She'll run across it somewhere. She'll watch it. She'll pull it up, you know, on whatever streaming service it's on. She'll watch it because she loves the story. And that part of it is extremely unfortunate. Whatever the resolution is, I hope there's some patience shown by those of us in the media. Totally unconnected to this. Totally unconnected to this. And I I only, I think I've met Sean Tui maybe once or twice. I've, I've met his son the sideline who I think is now working at UCF. I met him when he was working at, at Ole Miss. So I, I don't know the Tui family at all other than just casual meetings. But I was once mistaken for Sean Tui when he played at Ole Miss. What? I I went uh, – a buddy of my high school teammate of mine and I used to always make it a point to go to the SEC tournament, basketball tournament, when it was in Birmingham or uh, it was in Nashville a couple of times back in the day at old uh, – at Memorial Gym, at yeah. Memorial Coliseum in Vanderbilt. And we would always go, and this year it was in Birmingham, and I played at Muscle Shoals, and as you would do in the early 80s, I had on my Letterman's jacket, and our colors were were red and black, and had Big M on it, right? So Georgia and Ole Miss, <laughs> Georgia and Ole Miss had played in the SEC tournament, so my buddy and I had gone over to this hotel, which was, you know, connecting there, you know, see who you can see and all that stuff. And there was this guy who played for Georgia named uh, Donald Hartree, really, really skinny guy. So yeah. you, you knew immediately, you know, who he was. And he comes up and he starts talking to me. We're just sort of chatting or whatever. And then finally, he sort of, you know, pats me on the back and says, hey, nice game today, Tui. And I was like, wait, Thanks, what? dude. <laughs> yeah, <I was laughs> like, Thanks, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, all right. That's amazing. Man. I appreciate That's it. Am- so, Hey, and in related news, I'm I'm frequently uh, mistaken for Tim McGraw. So there you go. It all, oh, there it, you it, go. Yeah, 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 by, no. by Faith Hill or by others? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my in my in my '90s dreams, yes, by Faith Hill. But no, <laughs> good, no, it's good no. catch there. '90s <laughs> dreams. You you don't you don't want Mrs. McGee seeing seeing that. No, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, that's amazing though. Yeah, you should have said thanks, man. You know, uh, I did. That, I just said that, thanks, man. It just because yeah. I was like, I'm not going to bother trying to. Explain like that was that. an awesome rebound I pulled down late in the game. There, yeah, yeah. I was crashing <laughs> the boards. I was crashing the boards. That's fantastic. Oh, but but I'll say this: I, I was I, the, to the point. Your point about the people's reaction to the story. There's that great scene in the film, right, where 
Sandra Bullock, you know, playing Ms. Tui is at the country club and all those ladies act like they act and everyone's so appalled, you know, how could, mm-hmm. all right, don't be that. That's my only advice is don't be the ladies at the country club table as you're just to Reese's point, wait, get the information and uh, yeah, don't, don't be the people that you booed in the movie theater. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're going to, they're, there will be differing opinions, whatever the resolution of this is. But at least before you assign yourself to the extreme on either side, wait it out, see what yeah. happens. But when you're getting ready to make predictions about teams, it's much better to assign yourself to uh, to an extreme side. We've been doing conference previews, Ryan, and uh, we're going to go group of five today. Um, yeah, we are. We've had we've had some teams you know, that have been upwardly mobile, who've made waves, whether it's making BCS Bowls, making New Year's Six, um, you know, Cincinnati, UCF, who are now uh, out of that mix. Tulane last year won the Cotton Bowl, beat USC. And, you know, Tulane Tulane comes into this, uh, one of the favorites, one would think, in the American. Uh, and I think they've got six starters back on offense. They did lose Ty J Spears, who was sensational for them last year. But they come in here with Willie Fritz coming off that 12-win season, the massive turnaround. But I do offer this, uh, this point of caution, this note of caution. The last time Tulane had a double-digit winning season, 1998, undefeated under Tommy Bowden, they went 3-8. and eight. The next season. Now, they did have a coaching change so that uh, there are some extenuating circumstances and they fought off potential suitors to keep their quarterback, Michael Pratt, who had a 3,000 yard passing season, did a good job taking care of the football and can run a little bit. What do you think of Tulane going into this season? Will they be the one that repeats in this final incarnation of the college football playoff where the highest ranked group of five champion ends up uh, making a New Year's Six Bowl? I think they're the leading candidate, and and I give Willie Fritz a lot of credit because you, I mean you just referenced it, the suitors, right? He kept the core, you know. He, he they were going to lose a group of guys to to graduation. That's fine, but 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 the fact that you kept that you kept your quarterback and you kept the core group of athletes, you know, Lane Kiffin said something. Uh, our, you know, our Marty McGee talking season specials have been on the last couple nights on SEC Network, and, and Lane Kiffin said something to us at SEC Media Days that has really rattled me. Um, and, he, and what he's talking about was was that what's missing from college football in this age of transfers is he worries about, he said, what do you love about college football versus the pros? And, of course, we all remember we coached the Raiders, um, was the fact that people actually want to be where they are in college. Like, like you were recruited and you signed there and you got guys in the room that grew up wanting to play for that team. But he said, we're losing that. He said, I look around the Ole Miss locker room and I got a handful of guys that grew up wanting to play for Ole Miss. But for the most part, I got a lot of guys coming in from other places. I got a lot of guys. It's just, it's just a business transaction. This group at Tulane, they want to be there. And, and that's why they stayed. And so to me, it, it's all, you know, I walk in, you, you know, this too. You walk into a locker room. If you're there for a practice in the middle of the week, you know, immediately, if you go to the practice field, you know, immediately the chemistry of the group. And is it just a bunch of athletes that have been quilted together or is it a, an actual team? And what I love about that Tulane group when I was around them last year is that they want to be there and they built something. And so the fact that they, that that core group stayed when they all had an opportunity to go somewhere else 
and turn you know Tulane into the AAA affiliate to whoever, which has happened to so many other schools. The fact that they've kept that group together is why I think they're 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 the leading candidate. If anyone's going to crash the party, um, you know they're the one. So I, I think they've got a chance to to repeat. And, and the fact that the coach is still there helps. You know, I, I, I what Willie's done is, is amazing. He he's a terrific coach, and I really thought that there was one particular Power Five job that I thought he was going to get. Yep. And uh, and didn't work out largely because he you know he decided he wanted to stay until the end with Tulane. He he showed a little bit of that type of loyalty to these guys that they ended up showing to him. They do have some transfers coming in to help them, but they have a couple of new coordinators too because they they're not coming back completely intact. And their win total is nine and a half. And though I really like this team and I like Pratt, they they start with South Alabama, who we'll probably touch on in just a minute. Then they've got Ole Miss, albeit at home at the end. Then they've got uh, UTSA, who's you know a newcomer in the American this year, who we're also going to talk about that I really like. Oh, uh, The win total is nine and a half, over under. I'm going under uh, just because, I mean, that's only nine and three. They pulled some out. They've got enough change. There's enough um, – parity as it were and then the Ole Miss game I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under there I still think they'll be good and still have a chance uh, to be the highest ranked group of five champion but I, I think probably nine and nine and three sounds like a solid season anything better than that would be uh would be pretty you know pretty significant what do you think yeah I'm with you I, I think under uh barely uh, just because again what the schedule is but but can we just talk for a minute about the fact that we live in a world where the Tulane-UTSA game, which is the last weekend of the season. I mean, dude, again, I say this. People ask about the bottom 10. I write the bottom 10. I'm actually today working on the preseason bottom 10 for next week. People ask about that thing. And the best part, the and this is why, and this is why I love talking about these teams, the best part of writing the bottom 10 is when a team that I have written about for years, it's like sending them off to college when all of a sudden they're good. So – when when Tulane, who I, I called too lame, you know, for years, or UTSA, R O C K in the UTSA, you do you understand? Like we always talk about the challenge of how do we come up with with different things to write and report about Alabama, right, or Georgia or Ohio State. These teams are always good. Well, how about how about coming up with new stuff to write about UTSA for eight years when they when they're winning two games a year, and now. They got a chance to win a third straight conference championship. I mean, it's just, it's, um, this, it's this single best part of the job is, it's why I get so excited about these teams because so many of these teams I've written about when they were bad and then watching them win when Georgia State started going to bowl games is one of the greatest experiences of my career because, you know, I, I, I watched so much of their football when they were bad and now they're good. And so, yeah, it's, it's so I just wanted to touch on the fact that, the UTSA Tulane game, that's going to be a gigantic football game, rivalry weekend. I cannot wait for it. Well, and a couple of games in September might make that game even bigger, or it'll be a big game in the American. You know, sure. and that's a distinct sure. difference. The one game that I yeah. mentioned is second weekend of the season when Tulane hosts Ole Miss. And the other one is UTSA going to Tennessee. Now, yeah. I know how that sounds, yeah. but that's a, that's a sandwich game 
for the Vols. I think it's, uh, what is it? It's like between, it's right before or after South Carolina. I'm pulling up the, uh, I'm pulling up, oh, here it is. It's after Florida and before South Carolina. Yeah. And South Carolina for Tennessee after what happened last year, that, that is a, that is a classic, classic look ahead game. And so yep. then you get UTSA in there coming in on the 23rd in between with all of those veterans and Frank Harris, who's played quarterback there forever. And now UTSA is another team as they move up in uh, conference affiliation, moving up into the American after winning Conference USA last year. And, you know, Harris even – did you know Did you know Frank Harris had LASIK in the offseason? He'd been having some issues with his contacts. So he had LASIK. So as razor sharp as he's been at times, I think it was 42 touchdowns and 14 picks. Couldn't last see. Year. He might, he might he think about that, but he can see. Now he was he like, he's like, I, what he's going to do. I think that's my guy over there. I'll just throw it over and see what happens. <laughs> now, now he actually knows. Yeah. It's like my, my mother-in-law for years, I, she told everybody she could see fine. And then she had cataract surgery. All of a sudden she picked up the paper, newspaper and was like, Oh, wow. I go, yeah. you haven't been able to read all this time. So yeah, no, it's, but I, it, it's funny because. This happens. So you, you figure, and I, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, you figure Tennessee probably scheduled that UTSA game. You know, I don't know. The way they schedule now, it might have been 10 years ago. when mm-hmm. UT, Or even five. But if even if it was five years ago, UTSA was winning two games a year. So you're thinking, all right, you know what? We're going to get us an FCS game. We're going to plug it in there, uh, announce the homecoming court, and then we'll get ready for South Carolina. And all of a sudden, you know, you scheduled this game however long ago, and now you're watching. And UTSA had a chance, has got a chance to go undefeated <laughs> last week, and they're winning conference championships. You're like, wait, this isn't the easy out that we thought it was, but but also help your resume. Now mm-hmm. they'll take credit for that. Always oh, scheduled, we scheduled tough, man. Now they did lose their star wide receiver Zachary yep. Franklin, who, if I can harken back to your earlier comments with Lane Kiffin, apparently uh, grew up his entire life hoping to play for Ole Miss. So no. I'm joking, but uh, yeah, yeah, fifteen. I, I was going to roll with it. I was like, all right, okay, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure no, about this. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little snarky about that, but, but I understand it. I don't mean to cast aspersions. That's that. Those are the rules you make. I totally understand Lane's point, and at the same time, if those are the rules you're going to put in place, you can't expect yep. exactly expect him to sit back and go, no, no, no. I'm going to take the high road here and only take uh, the yeah. young guys who grew up dreaming of going hotty toddy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it. So, but but it, that is a loss, and it is a, a security blanket type receiver for Frank Harris. But they return a lot of a lot of guys. They've got a, a guy Trey Moore who's a disruptor, a bunch of sacks, had a bunch of tackles for loss. Should be good up on the defensive front. We're going to know a lot about them in terms of the big picture about you know whether they are the it team this year, like Tulane was last year, like UCF, like Western Michigan's been in other years because they, they open at Houston, the Tennessee game that we've mentioned, and then Tulane at the, at the end of the season. So the win total for them, perhaps because they're moving up in conference affiliation, is, is only seven and a half. And they, they are at FAU and Tom Herman taking over there. They're at North Texas. I, man, I'm, I, I'll drill the over on this. I'm going to take the over on uh, UTSA at seven and a half. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100. You got you got Tulane late. Um, they don't have to play SMU during the regular season. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's it's um, they're going they're catching Army kind of at the right time. No, it's it's um, 
I'm with you. I'll take the over on that all day long. And at the end right now, if you had to, if you had to pick Justin, the American right now, are those the two teams Are those the two best teams you have Cincinnati, Houston, UCF gone Uh, Tulane obviously is a, you know, the returning champion. Are those the two best teams in the conference and will ultimately, uh, you know, you, you might you might see them play a couple times as we've seen in, in years past yeah. with uh, with the American. Yeah, and, and I think the the team the team that could crash that is SMU. I mentioned them briefly. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I I was I was going through my notes last week and I, I I had them penciled in at like eight and four, and so you know that's a that's a chance for a team that can mess it up. I mean, you know, it's funny with with the American they've kind of got that that wad of teams right there in the middle, like like East Carolina. They could win nine games, or they could win four games. You know, and, and and to me, I would put FAU in that group. I'd put Memphis in that group. You know, the, the, there's there are team a lot of teams in there that I don't believe are good enough to win the conference, but I think they're certainly good enough to ruin a bigger picture. You know, for for these other two teams that we're talking about. So, but I I think to me it's Tulane, UTSA, um, and then I think that you got SMU sitting there, and then you got that group of teams that are all seven and five, six and six. And by the way, how about our boy JT Daniels? By the way, he's going to be running around right. the conference. He's yeah. the I, first of all, I, I love that guy. Um, I've had some of the most insightful conversations with him, but this will be his fourth FCS starting job at Rice. That's the craziest. That's the most twenty twenty three stat I can possibly come up with. And he's really good. You know, when he's on, he's really good. And so, you know, I don't. Rice might win five games, but I, you know I wouldn't put it past JT Daniels to again uh, screw up someone's season right in the middle of October with suddenly you know looking like the guy that we all think he can be. That I mean, and that probably is the one thing that might open the door. Um, you know, I think the American prior to the defections had sort of been you know along with the Mountain West to some degree, but mainly mainly the American with the emergence of Cincinnati and UCF had sort of felt like the next tier beyond the power five. Yeah. And that type, those types of teams that can mess things up could uh, allow someone like say Boise state yep. to be the highest ranked champion from the group of five. Uh, Andy Avalos there sort of got things going later on in the season. They have a sensational a quarterback in Taylor green who you know, was mountain West freshman of the year last year. They've got a couple of really good running backs and uh, George Helani who finally, Kept his knees healthy last year and, you know, went for over a thousand yards. Ashton, Ashton Genty is kind of a speed back for them. Got a couple of solid receivers, solid on the defensive side. They were, it, it were like plus 182 yards per game in Mount West play. Now they did lose, you know, lost Fresno State in the Mount West title game. They've got, you know, they've got eight super seniors on that team. And I know we've sort of forgotten about Boise State the yep. last few years because they've been good, not great. Uh, what do you what do you make of the Broncos uh, right now and their opportunity perhaps to be that G five team this year? Well, they're going to make a statement early, uh, one way or the other, because they, they've got yeah. you know, they go they go to Washington and they host UCF. And um, I don't know I don't know as a Floridian now you can tell me what the what the altitude situation is, but I don't believe that uh, I don't believe that the the altitude in Orlando is what it is in Boise. Uh, it's, the weather's certainly not the same. So, they, but that's that's a chance, even if they were to win one of those two, um, you know, that's a chance for them to get back on the radar. And, and this is what we found with these teams is 
what you do in September determines what we think about you the rest of the year. And mm-hmm. so if they if they were to cry if they were they were to take care of a, a team a Washington team that we all I think can agree is going to be pretty good. Um, and, and then obviously UCF is a brand name. There's a chance there, um, you know, to make a statement early, or there's a chance to go and two uh, after two weeks, and we'll just, um, you know, we'll check in with you at the potato ball. I think they're good, and I try not to make predictions based on schedule all the time because yeah. if you're not good enough, a loss will find you. But I do think they start zero two. Because I think Washington yep. and UCF are both better than they are, yep. and as you glance down their schedule, they they've got they've got a couple of tough, tricky road trips, and they still go to Memphis too. Who you know is yep. capable. Memphis has been up and down. They can win that game, but you know that's that's not a, a lock. They have to go to San Diego State in the conference. They have to go to Colorado State. They go to Fresno State and, and Utah State at the end. So they've got. Uh, you know, they've got some difficult road trips in the conference with those two two big-time non-conference games against UW and UCF. I, I'm going to have to take the under barely. I think it, this feels like eight and four. It yeah. feels like eight and four for them. And, and that was – and initially, um, when I first started looking at them back in the spring, I even had them as high as ten wins. But the the closer we get to the year, I'm with you because what I initially looked at was the fact that they had Wyoming at home, they had Air Force at home at the end of the year, and and I, I'm like, all right, that's two good ones to have at the house. But then and, and having UCF at home, but then I realized um, all those road uh, games that you're talking about. So yeah, I think I believe I think I'm with you on that one. I, I Air Force has a chance to win nine games. Uh, Fresno's probably an eight win team. Um, yeah, it's it's um this is not an easy conference. San Diego State's always I mean, they're always San Diego State. All the, all San Diego State does is win eight games a year and go to a bowl game every year. Mm-hmm. And and rush for five hundred thousand yards. And so it's um it, it'll be interesting to watch. But I um but Boise's gonna win the conference. Um the the problem is I just don't know that they're gonna have enough to, you know, uh create the resume that they you know, they invented for everyone else, which is crashing the party when we get to January. Okay, so that's that's Boise State. Uh, there are a couple of other teams from from the state of Alabama who who have really elevated. Let's take a look at Troy. Yep. Uh, Troy Trojans, really really good defensive team. Uh, you know, Troy under John Sumrall in his second year. Uh, they're hoping to open up the offense a little bit more this year. They got Asa Martin, who transferred from Memphis. He was at Auburn before then. They've got a defensive tackle and then TJ Jackson, who was uh, just just a stud. And He's then a in, dude. The, in the secondary, Reddy Stewart had three picks last year. That they were like they were top ten in the country in scoring defense last year. And I I will test my colleagues on game day because I'll uh, obviously I'm going to give away the answer here. <laughs> Second longest winning streak to the two-time reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs belongs to the Troy Trojans. How about Who that? Won eleven in a row. Yeah. How about that? That's a, that, that, that's that's a bar bet that you would have won. You're going to win everywhere except for maybe. I think I think you'd I think you'd still you still win it if you were on the Troy camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't I don't think I don't think they got that one. But but it's um. It's uh, and again, I, I put uh, I put South Alabama, uh, you know, um, 
as I call them, USA. I put them in that, that group of, of schools that, again, it felt like I sent them off to college because they were scuffled forever. And now, you know, playing for conference championships, the bottom 10 graduates, we, we always, we always appreciate that. But yeah, what, what they've built and, you know, and those schools, it's, it, it's always been an interesting thing because Alabama is such, is, is such this super sun with this gravitational pull, right? And then you've mm-hmm. got Auburn over on the other side of the state. And as you know, um, they've also worked very hard to make football tough on other publicly funded universities in that state over the years. No offense, Bear Bryant Jr. Um, but, 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 but <laughs> you, you can't just say no offense and expect him not to take offense. It's too late no, for that. It's like Talladega Nights, <laughs> right? When you say no offense, you can say whatever you want right after that. That's not, yeah, that's not how it works. But, but to see, UAB and to see South Alabama and to see Troy, um, you know, build programs within football crazy state, um, even when a, a lot of forces were working against them is, uh, I, 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 I so much enjoy that. And, and so to watch them, the problem South Alabama or Troy has is the same division, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that, that part of it. And then more than likely your reward is you're going to play Coastal Carolina, you know, for a championship, but, but, but it's, uh, but the fact that they've built what they've built in the universe where they've built it is um is super fun to watch. Okay, let's let's do them together. And by the way, South Alabama is sort of in keeping with Alabama and Auburn fans. They've they've developed a prickly fan base already. Yeah. You know, I I think I picked against them in uh maybe yeah. in a Superdog or some, you know, some thing. Man, they they got all bent out of shape. I was like, you where have you guys, been? You, you guys yeah. are, are baseball school. Right? Luis yeah. Gonzalez or something. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Th- th- take it easy. Where have um, y'all been? Yeah. Troy's over under. Their win total is eight and a half. Uh, South Alabama. So let me scroll through here and see exactly what. i get you to do both. Okay. So go ahead and do that one. Let me find, let me find theirs. Troy over under eight and a half. What do you got? And the Troy, uh, the big game for them. On the schedules, they're at Kansas State in week two. Yeah, and 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 they host host South they they host the South Alabama game on my birthday. Um, the uh, happy birthday to me. The um, I I I'm, I, I got I had South Alabama at nine and four. I had South Alabama with nine wins and Troy with eight. Um, so I've got Troy just under that. Um, and South Alabama win total is eight. Okay, well, I've got South Alabama then one game over that, and I've got Troy a half a game under that. So I, I had I had South Alabama nine wins and Troy at eight wins, just in my in my uh, very. Um, uh, I have a lot of notes I take in the spring. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had I had I got a South Alabama nine wins and Troy at eight. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over by half on Troy yep. at yep. eight and a half. I'd probably like to take a push on South Alabama. South Alabama's at Tulane and at Oklahoma State. Now, they almost won at UCLA last year. They certainly yeah. went in Stillwater. Um, but I've got to figure those are losses. They're at James Madison, which even with the loss of, of Todd Santeo at quarterback, they've got one of the bright, young, offensive uh, gurus in Tino Sinceri uh, running the passing game there. So James Madison's going to be tough. They're at Troy. Uh, I, I'm going to take over only because I'd like to take the push. Um, it has nothing to do with whether they get their fans get mad at me all you know 
because we're all that. we're always all, affected by that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah all, just all, everybody on twitter knows yeah we're totally affected by y'all's <laughs> yeah all 150 uh twitter warriors there in south alabama but i'm gonna i'm gonna take the um i'm gonna take the eight and a half or take the win totals eight i'm gonna take the over and say they probably win eight and more likely to win nine than to only win seven because they're look man they're gonna play they're gonna play great defense kane womack is a is a rising star as a head coach there. You know, Major Apple White, people people probably don't know that's the offensive coordinator yep. for yep. South Alabama there. Let's do just a couple of other teams. Oh, let's do it this way. Instead of running through teams, you're the bottom 10 guy. You're the group of five guy. Who Who is it that we haven't talked about yet that you are really high on? Is it is it Toledo, Coastal Carolina? Is it Liberty now under Tim Beck? Uh, or uh, I mean, Liberty under Jamie Chadwell in Coastal Carolina under Tim Beck in their first years. Who is it that uh, that you're really looking at from the group of five? Well, I think Toledo's got a chance to be, to be pretty good. You know, the Mac is scuffling. Just, I mean, you're talking about the bottom ten. I felt like I spent a whole year last year just writing about the Mac um, when it was putting the bottom ten together. Toledo's got a chance. But, but the Coastal Carolina-Liberty deal fascinates me. Um, you know, it's no secret that I, I love Jamie Chadwell. Um, I think what they built at Coastal Carolina was it was magical. I mean, you know, you, you guys did game day down there. Uh, mm-hmm. I was on my my lone sideline reporting gig was the BYU Coastal game uh, in the middle of the COVID season. Uh, I'm one for one in great games. Never going to do it again. And and it but 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 Jamie Chadwell is going to try and take that that funky offense of his and plug it in at Liberty with a really good quarterback who who doesn't necessarily know how to play that offense but for folks that have not been to liberty man there are construction cranes everywhere and and people have asked jamie why do you take this job because as you know his name was attached to a lot of of um, a power five jobs um over the years he went to liberty because of the the financial commitment and the facilities commitment and he believes that he can take the next step up and it kind of hit the cap you know kind of hit the the you know the, the the chip down at Coastal Carolina. That being said, Tim Beck at Coastal Carolina fascinates me because, again, it's a completely different mindset. The whole coaching staff went to Liberty with Jamie. Um, and Tim Beck, as you know, is one of those guys that I feel like every football building I've walked into for the last 20 years, I'm like, oh, hey, Coach Beck. Tim Beck's on, like, on the staff. You know, He's been on so many staffs, most recently at NC State, so I'm fascinated by all, but by, by, by that entire situation and, and coastal maybe crashing that South Alabama Troy party. But, but, it, but, but Jamie Chadwell at Liberty fascinates me because I think they, maybe not this year, but certainly in the short term, I think they have the chance to be that team. Um, that, that he's catching the program at the right time. He's catching, he's got a lot of talent in the building that Hugh Freeze recruited. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I think of all of them, Liberty is the one that, we're not talking about now that when we hit October and they only have one loss, um, you know, I think we've got, they've got a chance to, to crash that party like, like Coastal did. Final year of this playoff format. Yeah. And we probably should have hit on a few more teams here, but let's, let's make it, let, let's draw a conclusion here. New Year's Six is still quite a feather in, in the cap. It's elevated coaching careers, uh, you know, PJ Fleck, uh, many others. Uh, you know, Mike Norvell made you know made the jump to Florida State after being great at uh, at Memphis. 
who is that highest ranked group of five champion that ends up getting a chance to do what Tulane did last year, play the giant uh, and try to slay them. Who is that team? Is it Tulane again or is it someone else? I think it's Tulane again. Um, and, and I think it's, it's that, that returning core that we're talking about. It's the fact that the coaching staff stay together. It's the fact that they, they're playing a, a, a very high profile game that they could win having Ole Miss in the building uh, at the start of the season. And then it's also the conference they're in. You know, the reality is my love for the Sun Belt is well documented. And mm-hmm. what they've done to run counter to all this conference craziness to me is magical. I wrote about it for you guys on game day last year. Um, Ge- but, it's geographical integrity. Right, there, right. That's, just, that's just important to them. Which is lock down your yeah. corner of the map and create yeah. regional rivalries and parents yeah. can go to the games. I and mean, I wrote a column in a, in a TV piece about it last year, and I, I still am a, I'm a, a huge fan of it. But the fact of the matter is Tulane is in a conference that's going to keep people's attention um, nationally you know, through the year if they take care of their business. So if anyone's going to crash it, um, it's Tulane. Um, and it's uh, and I, I certainly think they're, they're the rep when we start handing out the big bowl bids in the I, summer. I suspect you're right, but I'm going to go with difficulty of repeating, and I realize that the roadrunners of UTSA are taking a step up in weight class in terms yeah. of and, – and that may get them. It might. Um you know they're they're going to lose at Tennessee. You know I've I've put a check mark beside that game as one that the Vols should make sure they don't sleepwalk through. But Tennessee's going to win that game, so that's a loss. Um, I'm going to say they I'm going to say they end up splitting uh, with Tulane and they win the important one. I'll, I'll go with UTSA yep. just so that we don't all all stay singing from the same hymnal here. Well, and again, I mean, I'm about to send my daughter off to college, as you know. And I've already experienced what that's like because let me tell you, if UTSA is playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game, I'm going to buy a sweatshirt. I might go to the game. I might, I might, I might demand that we do Marty McGee from UTSA's bowl game <laughs> just so I could go there and enjoy it. Because I, again, it's the best part is the best part is watching the bad teams play good football. And, uh, and certainly, uh, UTSA and Tulane, they're, uh, they're, they're my proud children. Where, where I would hedge my bet on the outside is sort of a throwback uh, would be Boise State. Yep, yep. I think with, uh, with Taylor Green and playing, yep. yeah, playing in there. If I hedged the bet against them, it would be it would be uh, Boise State. And, and, okay. and, and, and they're a brand. I mean, it, it right. matters. Yeah. The, the brand matters, and they're a brand. And, and it would be very easy for them to suddenly pop up on everyone's radar again. People want them to be good. People want them to be in those big bowl games. And so that's I, I think that will benefit them ultimately – you know, in an expanded playoff era, hopefully. It could, what could really hurt them is an 0-2 start, though. Right. Uh, but right. but if they finish strong, you know, they could they could still wind up, especially if there's a lot of, uh, um, a lot of parity or a lot of uh, um, cannibalization within some of these other conferences and everybody winds up uh, with three or four losses out of the group of five. Because of bottom 10, who's the worst team in the country? And then we're going to go. Because well, I, want, not, I want to end with a negative emotion well, here. Well, look, but, I, but I also, also listen. I, I also, you know, and I am currently uh, Captain Morgan, and I are currently working on the bottom ten. I mean, not right now; it's too early in the morning. But later, we'll, we'll certainly be doing it. But, but it's, um, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, I, you know, it's kind of want to give you the end of the movie uh, before we get to it. But I'll just say that the, uh, uh, I was just in the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, I took my yeah. I took my family yeah. to the Cape uh, for a little pre, you know, yeah. uh, send my daughter off to college trip, and uh, saw a guy on the uh, on the ferry boat from the Boston Wharf over to uh, Provincetown, 
and he had all of his UMass stuff on and he was just staring at me on the boat. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and it's about a 90 minute boat ride. And finally with about 10 minutes to go, he walked over and he goes, dude, are we going to be number one again? I go, <laughs> yes. I said, but yeah. let me go get a life jacket before you throw me off this boat. <laughs> so yeah, uh, another, another long year for the minute men, but, um, uh, one day they'll win again. And, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Frank, it wasn't Frank Martin, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was no Frank Martin. And I did have, I went down when, when, uh, Frank Martin, and I've had, have, we've, we've had some exchanges about that. And, uh, Frank Martin, as you know, is a large human being. So, uh, what I don't want to do is, and I'm pretty sure he has mob ties. So I, I do, I do not, I don't want to get on the wrong side of Frank Martin ever, particularly when it comes to UMass football. The opinions expressed by Ryan McGee by Frank <laughs> Martin to organize crime do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the ESPN College Game Day podcast, nor do they reflect my opinion because I don't need a visit from any of Frank Martin's He's the best, associates. man. That dude's the uh, best. Him telling me stories about his childhood, I was like, "Oh, okay, that's how that went down." It was like Goodfellas. So no, it's um no, it, I I love that dude so much. I miss having him near me here in Charlotte, but uh It'll be fun to uh, to watch them. I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Frank's too. One one other quick story. See, you bring out these old school stories to me. I was when I I was calling um, midweek SEC basketball games back in the day when Frank was at South Carolina. It was fairly early. I think it was his first year actually at South Carolina. So I'm at practice one day and I don't remember who the player was. It doesn't really matter. But they're going through a walkthrough day of the game, and he tells. He tells one of the players it was like on a baseline out of a uh, baseline underneath uh, inbounds play, and he they were defending it, and he tells the guy, you know, you you can't get caught on top of that screen. Well, sure enough, they start the inbounds play, and first thing he does, guy gets screened. Frank didn't go crazy. He said, "Hey, you know, I told you, you know, you yeah. got to step this way and not get you know, I get caught on that screen. Run it again. They do it again. Guy does the same thing. Frank yells a little louder." Do it a third time. Guy does the same thing for the third straight time. And finally, I'm sitting there saying nothing, and Frank is yelling at him, and he looks right at me, and he and he said, do you, Reese, do you know what to do here? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you can't. You know what I said? Whatever it was, I caught on it. And then so he just laid into that kid, you know, then telling him, he knows. How can you not know? And the whole thing, and the kid kind of cast me aside. I glance and go, really? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hey, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? You're but, like, uh, of course I know what to do because I play basketball at Ole Miss. Have you not heard? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, man. That, that, that's the best thing that could happen to recounting my athletic career, mistaken identity. That's it. That's like, it's clearly no. the best thing that could That's ever it. happen. 100%. Maybe. Yeah, one time, got got at the airport, said, you played for Johnny Major in Tennessee, didn't you? I go, yes, I did. And just yeah. kept walking. I'm like, <laughs> if one guy thinks that, then I'm all in. You know, the, uh, the thing is, and I, I use I use this line a lot when you're you know out giving speeches or something because of what, what we do. People say, you know, did you play in college? And, my stock response is no, my talent ran out after high school, though my high school teammates would tell you it ran out a long time before then. <laughs> and uh, I, I was giving a speech recently and uh, to my surprise and just sort of uh, coincidentally, 
a guy who was a couple of years older and was one of my high school teammates happened to be in town where I was giving it. So I was speaking and just and stopped by the speech. And so I said at some point, you know, I, I said after, you know, three decades of being out of high school, you know, you'd like to think you could lie a little bit, but here's a guy in the, in the audience who can call me on it. So, you know, you can't, you can't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. Either, but, yeah. No, it's, uh, the, the, no, the Travers Rest High School, Del, the Travers Rest Devil Dogs Athletic Hall of Fame. I'm not in it. And, uh, and, and, and I'm like, I, you know, no offense, but you know, I'm not sure what else I need to do at the worldwide leader in sports to get into the hall of fame. And the response back was, you really weren't that great of an athlete. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's an athletic hall of fame. Oh, Got it. Oh, Never mind. Good. I'll shut up and sit down now. We well, you know the thing, the thing is there's no point in doing the whole Bruce Springsteen glory days because you know, they'll, they'll pass you by, but our, <laughs> our high school basketball team, my best friend in high school was a really, really good player but he, he was a small guy and our coach believed in a really tight rotation so he, he didn't play much but he kept meticulous stats and you know this is this is my shot at my old high school coach high school basketball coach who was a really good guy but he, sh- he should have played this guy more but anyway that being said he kept <laughs> meticulous stats and there were a whole bunch of dnps in there right yeah so his his boys, both of whom were really good high school athletes, stumbled across this one day, and he called me and was sort of bummed out about it. I said, what's wrong with you, man? He said, what do you mean? I said, throw that stuff away. I said, yeah. we've been out of high school 25 years. You yeah. easily should be averaging double figures by now. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't, think, I don't <laughs> think you understand how the yeah. Uncle Rico principle works. Right, exactly. Right? I, yeah, yeah, if they'd have played me, we'd have won state. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. Oh, Marty Smith played high school football against Shane Beamer. And, and, uh, and I, yeah, I've and, heard, I've, and, I've heard about that eight or 12 times. Yeah. And, and, and in the beginning, in the beginning, Marty <laughs> seeing was the, the, seeing the newspaper clipping yeah, and everything. Marty was the worst receiver on the best team in the history of his high school. But as the years have gone by, um, you know, he, he's, he, you know, he's turned in, he's, he's Rudy, right? He's turned into a much bigger deal than he, than he actually is. That, that's how it works. Just so that's you know, how it's kids, supposed to work. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. As, as far as y'all know, I ran into state finals in the 800 meters. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as y'all know, there's, and the good mm-hmm. news is we're old enough. The record keeping wasn't great. So <laughs> the, you know, no one, no one can check me on that stuff. Well, that's why I said to my buddy, why, why keep your own records now? Yeah. You know, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. No, if, and if you're, and if you're keeping your own records, the whole point. Is to make it look better than it was, right? I, Absolutely. But that's that's all right. That's good. Hey Ryan, this has been fun, man. Thanks for thanks for doing this while uh, while family detoxes. And I, I think we're uh, I think we're set to have you join us from time to time over the course of the season too. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it, and uh, it's always good to talk to you. And, and one day we'll dedicate an entire episode to uh, you and me at Daytona trying to interview uh, you know Ward Burton. Yeah. Okay. One, one more story. You know, Jeff Burton saved saved my son from running into the street in New York. I was there for the the awards banquet at the end, and uh, my son was little. And we we turned our heads, and he went sprinting for the exit. And some some uh, you know street side uh, coffee shop or something. And as he bolted out the door, Jeff snatched him and pulled him back in. So I've always been grateful to him. For yeah. That, well, so. and Jeff Burton. The mayor, no exaggeration, one of the biggest Duke fans on the face of planet Earth, and he saved the life of a kid who played baseball. Went on to play baseball at Duke. So future there you Duke, go. yeah, future Duke baseball captain. Who who knew? Circle of life. That's yeah, that's there right. you go. Hey Ryan, great talking to you, man. We'll do it next time. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Download this wherever you prefer to get your podcast.